This is a podcast of a sermon preached at Manitou Presbyterian Church on May 8, 2022. The Old Testament lesson is the 23rd Psalm. The New Testament lesson is John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. These are read by Ruth Signa Martin. The sermon, Following Blind, is preached by Scott Starbuck. The response, I will follow, is sung by Pamela Brownlee. Please be seated. Before we uh, pray, in just a moment, Ruth is going to read the beloved 23rd Psalm. But just as you saw with our children, and one child, whose child could this have been? took great offense at being considered not as bright as she thought that she was, right? I need to tell you that the 23rd Psalm was not always a popular psalm. In fact, it was usually avoided, and scholars believe the reason why it was avoided is that especially when people raised sheep, it was insulting to be compared to a sheep. And it took, in our culture, none other than Abraham Lincoln to start using the 23rd Psalm in conjunction with the reading of John 14 that really um, brought the 23rd Psalm into the type of beloved popularity that it shares within our culture today. So that's just an interesting thing to think about. There's an edge with these readings, and I think this edge, I think Jesus wants us to get this edge. And I think he wants us to get this edge because he dearly loves us, not because he's insulting us. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, please be with us on this very special day, the fourth Sunday of Easter, uh, Mother's Day, and this day of graduation for so many. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing, even delightful in your sight. For, O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our Old Testament passage today is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. 
And for the New Testament, we hear from John 10, 22 through 30. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is even greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Thanks be to God for his holy voice to us. <coughs> well, happy Mother's Day. Um, I was quick this morning to point out to Pamela before she got on her high horse that she would not be a mother without me. So I just want to put that on the record. Um, she didn't laugh, so thank you for laughing. Uh, so let's start with three quotes about Mother's Day. Let's go back to Abraham Lincoln. He said, I remember my mother's prayers. They have always followed me. They have clung to me my whole life. And now think what God did through that person. Eric Fromm, a wonderful um, um, psychological theorist, wrote a lot about love, said, mother's love is peace. The Hebrew shalom. It need not be acquired. It need not be deserved. And then finally, and not to be outdone, Milton Berle who said, if evolution really works, how come mothers do not have more than two hands? Mother's Day. I, there's this old um, movie that now is showing up on one of the streaming services, and I have to say that because I can't keep them straight, but it's with Steve Martin, and he plays an evangelist. Do you guys know the movie I'm talking about? I think it's called Leap of Faith or something like that. It's actually an interesting movie. But what I want to tell you about is as he moves from place to place, and basically he is a tent-preaching evangelist, um, the group that is with him 
before he gets there, will give him a list of unusual words, words that you would never associate with a sermon, for example, or with a revival. And the challenge for him is that he has to use those words in his message. And it's sort of a funny thing to watch, and it's funny watching Steve Martin do it. I have to be honest. When we come to a day like Mother's Day, there's a sense in which we're sort of in this place. Because on the one hand, Mother's Day is so important to us, especially in our culture. And on the other hand, how is this somehow related to what Jesus was teaching and John was communicating to us in John 10? Um, But I think that they do come together today. For us. Um, so you can let me know afterwards whether you think that they actually really do come together in a good way for you, or if this is one of those Steve Martin challenges. Um, I, hope it's, I hope it is the former. Mother's Day. Julia Ward Howe. Do you know that name? Some of you do. Julia was an American poet and author known for writing Battle Hymn of the Republic. She became the first woman elected to the Society of Arts and Letters, and her biography, written by her children, won the Pulitzer Prize. So if you don't know that name, there you have some summer reading. She was also co-editor and writer of the Women's Journal. Now, she lived... Uh, basically in the 19th century, a little bit into the 20th century. Um, The Women's Journal lobbied for women's suffrage and for human rights. She was the one who was instrumental in creating Mother's Day. So if we were to look at the origin of Mother's Day in our culture, we would have to look at Julia Ward Howe. In her mind, she envisioned a day of solemn counsel where women from all over the world could meet and discuss the means whereby to achieve world peace. That was her vision for Mother's Day. They would convene as mothers, keeping in mind especially the duty to protect children. Now think about when she lived. Remember what you know about, for example, the absence of child labor laws. See her vision. See the theological foundation of Mother's Day. I think her assumption was that mothers were like the Good Shepherd. They knew their children, and they would not sacrifice, exploit, or politicize them. But other people would, and other people did. In fact, she did not trust other shepherds or the elected officials that kept leading their children into war, for example, 
and subjecting other children to war. I think of Julia War Howe every single time I see a video or a picture of a Ukrainian mother, now refugee, with her children. That is the roots of Mother's Day. Steeped in the struggles of the world. Steeped in the gift of love between mother and child. And fierce. Fierce not to let what is normal remain as normal. In our passage, Jesus is confronted by some of the Jews during the Feast of Dedication. We can think Hanukkah. Um, just a reminder, what Hanukkah celebrates is the one time in Jewish history that the Jews were able to kick out the people who had invaded their land and took over. And so it's on that anniversary that they ask Jesus rather impatiently, are you the Messiah or not? And what this group is asking Jesus is are you the person that's going to kick out the Romans? Don't do this Jesus parable stuff anymore. We're sort of tired of it. Tell us plainly. Marianne Mai Thompson in her commentary on John says, the feast of Hanukkah specifically commemorates the victory of the Maccabees. You know how you can remember the Maccabees? They're known as the Hammers. Thomas Hammer, think Maccabees, think Hanukkah, think Jesus, we're there. Inasmuch as Hanukkah commemorated the triumph of the Jews over the Syrians that led to the temple's reconsecration, it provides an appropriate context for the question of whether Jesus is the Messiah who will free Israel from foreign oppression. It's a good question, isn't it? And let's be honest, let's be honest, how many times do you wish Jesus would just sort of get to the point, would skip the parable, right? You can see where they're at. The entreat to Jesus to declare openly, plainly, boldly, whether or not he is the Messiah and not to keep them in suspense is linked to the fact that they wish that Jesus would be different than Jesus is. That Jesus would be more user-friendly to them, more serviceable to what they really care about, to the real world issues of today. Have you ever felt that way about Scripture? Have you ever wanted Scripture to be a little more serviceable, a little bit more able to speak directly to the real world issues that are before you today? And it just, like Jesus, won't do that for us. Now, 
I actually think Jesus understood the real world better than any of us. And I think Scripture does too. It's just that it doesn't come in a form that is satisfying to us. Um, I just finished last Friday, but for some 28 weeks, every single Friday at noon, I would meet with another professor and a group of students over lunch, and we would discuss John's Gospel. Um, now, let me explain what this is. This isn't a, you know, person teaching John's Gospel, right? That, we're sort of familiar with that. You know what that looks like for us, where sometimes it's like we sort of read it ahead of time, but you go, he's going to talk a lot anyway, and I can just sort of listen and get it. That's not this situation. So we would slowly read through a section and then ask, what questions do we have? What the students discovered is that the two professors in the group had a lot of questions, and they didn't have a lot of answers. And the students had questions too. And after 28 weeks, we made it through eight chapters. Eight chapters. It was awesome. I still have a lot of questions. But I have the deepest sense that what John is describing in those eight chapters is a better read of what's happening in our world today than oftentimes we get from other sources. I'm also very aware of how easy it is to misinterpret Scripture which usually comes in the form of using Scripture to advance something that we already believe. There's a lot of that now. There always has been a lot of that. But it seems to be increasing, or maybe there are just better ways to keep track of it now. Notice what happens in the text. In the text, the people... Well, actually, we didn't read this text. Um, earlier, the same group comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you don't understand because you, you don't listen to me, and you're not part of my sheep. And they say to him, are we not right in saying, first of all, you're a Samaritan, you're not even Jewish, and that you are a demon. And we sort of scratch our head and think, well, how on earth could they possibly say that about Jesus? And yet, isn't that exactly sometimes the position we put ourselves in when we come across one of those passages in Scripture and we're trying to listen to the voice of Jesus and we don't like it. We don't like what Jesus is saying. And so usually it's helpful because we don't want to insult Jesus, we just insult the person who's maybe bringing us that information. The author, the preacher, right? The church, the denomination. But I think at the very heart of this is what we find in this passage. Jesus is the Messiah, but he's the Messiah who is the good shepherd. He is not the Messiah that 
99% of the people want it. Thank God. Who needs that type of Messiah? And yet, they thought they did. Jesus says in that same passage where the crowd suggests he's a Samaritan, he's not, disinformation starts all the way back then, that he doesn't have a demon, he says, um, you cannot understand what I say, it's because you do not accept my word. You're still sitting in this position of thinking, like I suggested with the children, and they didn't like hearing this, that we are smarter than we really are. That we're in a position of thinking that what Jesus is saying can't possibly be right. Jesus answered, and I've told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. What Jesus is saying is just look at my life. It's an open book. Look at everything I have done. If you're paying attention, and you really pay attention to who I am, you'll recognize that this is consistent with who God has revealed himself to be. Pay attention to that. But you do not believe. And you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. In fact, I give them eternal life, which for the author of the Gospel of John starts as soon as you start following Jesus. It starts now. It's a whole new type of life. And they will never perish. You're not part of my sheep. Is Jesus sort of having a bad hair day? where earlier they say you're from Samaria and you have a demon, and Jesus says, well, no, 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 you're not one of my sheep. Or is part of being a disciple of Jesus living in radical trust? living in absolute radical trust that Jesus and his way is the way, the truth, and the life. And to put it in the words of the children, is smarter than we are. Now, let me just say something that is sort of the uncomfortable elephant in the room. Paying attention to Jesus is not the same thing as paying attention to the pastor. The pastor is not Jesus, right? And I know that you know that, but I think that sometimes the next thing that we could think that's going to happen is I'm going to try to tell you what Jesus wants you to do, and you're only a good Christian if you do that, right? Does that make sense? So when Jesus in another passage is talking about the good shepherd, do you know who he calls or what he calls me? The hired hand. And you know what he says about the hired hand? He says, I'm not the hired hand because when the hired hand sees the wolf, you know what the hired hand does? Runs away. Because the hired hand, in the end, 
cares about himself and not the sheep. Yeah. It's about trusting Jesus. And in some ways, this trust of Jesus with the sheep metaphor is, is sort of like trusting and following blind, which again is really insulting to us. But you know, children do this. They follow blind. That's why, after all, Julie wore how organized Mother's Day, because of the vulnerability of the children in an exploitative, crazy world that would take advantage of their vulnerability. Jesus knows this. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 36, when he sees the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were vulnerable. They were like sheep without a shepherd. There's a lot of vulnerability around Mother's Day. This is what makes Mother's Day so difficult. It is, on the one hand, a phenomenally wonderful day. I'm still, in my mind, trying to figure out how we moved from Julie War Howe to what I experienced all of my life in Mother's Day, which is sort of the day that you make sure you don't leave your dishes in the sink, you bring flowers, and you make sure you thank mom for being awesome, right? There is a discontinuity somehow here, but there's also a continuity, I think. But there's a, a deeper vulnerability in Mother's Day uh, let me just mention one, and, and we could go on a long time talking about that vulnerability. But Stephanie Fu, in her book, What My Bones Know, a memoir for healing from complex trauma, says this, My birth mother gave me life, food, and the knowledge of how to tie my shoes. But she also gave me complex post-traumatic stress disorder, a condition that arises out of continual abuse. When we get to Mother's Day, there is this sense of the ideal mother, of the good shepherd mother. But just as Jesus defined the good shepherd mother amidst a lot of really bad shepherds. So too, in our own experience, it is a mixed bag. Sometimes, I think, in our cultural celebration of something like Mother's Day, holding this all together is just too painful, and we would rather just sort of be over here. And I think that that impulse, if that is true, is also sometimes the way that we approach Jesus. We think that the Good Shepherd is outside of this context of the world that we live in, the sin that we dwell in, the trauma that we've experienced, the alienation that is still out there. And when we do, <laughs> I think we do that because we think that we're smarter than Jesus. 
and so that's not good. When Teague was little, we're at Disneyland, Southern California. Teague had this fascination with, um, uh, oh, I just, who's the opposite of Captain Hook? I just lost it. Thank you, Peter Pan. So, you know the famous Peter Pan ride? So we waited hours to ride the famous Peter Pan ride. And we're on the Peter Pan ride, and I'm watching Teague, and Teague's face is just lighting up. And Teague is so excited. And in the middle of the ride, ah, 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 lights go on. It breaks down. And now, what we're looking at looks like my garage. I mean, there's tape on the floor, there's coffee cups on the floor. It was anything but the Peter Pan ride. Well, starts up again, we go through again. When we're all done, I ask Teague, sort of wise dad question, which way did you like it better? thinking, of course, it would be when the ride worked. And Teague said, I liked it both ways. There's an article in today's paper about George Washington. There's a whole mythology, not surprising, about George Washington. Think over here, what we tend to do. When historians look into George Washington, it's a different picture. I think what Teague is saying, and what I'm trying to say, is instead of just either being here or here, we need to be here. This reminds us of the world that we live in and that God is trying to redeem and calls us to participate in. This reveals the world we wish we lived in and reveals a lot about us. And when we look at this, we start feeling a little bit more like sheep. I think it is true about being sheep and obeying the voice of the shepherd. When I was at Princeton, and I was there longer than most students. I was always fascinated to talk with these world-class scholars. What I noticed was that when world-class scholars were younger, they seemed to exude a type of confidence that somehow the older scholars had let go of or lost. What I found in talking with the older scholars is not so much confidence and exquisite theory, but statements like, yeah, I have that question too. Or the worst one is, I don't know exactly what John is doing in this passage. 
at first, that's a little unnerving. But as I get older, I think that that points to what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Because in the very end, we have to deal with the reality that God has given us. We have to deal with the reality that God has given us in the full span of what it means to embrace Mother's Day and our mothers and our own mothering. And in this world, this world where, oh goodness, Julie wore how? thought the only hope was to get a bunch of mothers together to straighten out the chaos. And in the same way, as we try to make our way forward, at some point, at some point we're going to recognize that we actually are more sheep-like than we have wanted to admit, and that we desperately need to follow. And the one that we need to follow is the Good Shepherd, is Jesus. And then that will drive us back to reading Scripture a different way and reading Scripture together and seeking to be one of his sheep and to hear his voice. There is in our heart that still, small voice that bids us to come, and we know we need to follow. It beckons us with words that draw us near. And within us, there is that God-placed will that we desperately want to follow. All blessings to you on Mother's Day. Let us hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast of a sermon delivered at Manitou Presbyterian Church. For more information about how you might connect either online or in person with Manitou Presbyterian Church, please visit www.manitou.org. All blessings in the name of Jesus Christ to you today.